The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. I love East Delta Baptist Church. You are so friendly. Uh, I, I tell you, I had something happen to me this morning. It's never happened to me before. Um, I went to the restroom, and um, I sat down in the restroom, the only place you can sit down in the restroom, and shut the door, and a young man walked in and said, um, Who's in there? I see those boots. <laughs> so I introduced myself through the, through, through the door. You are friendly. You seek visitors into the bathroom. That is the sign of a friendly church. It was me. Hi. Good to see, good to see your face. Do you have boots on? No, no boots on. A high top. All right. All right. He'll remember my boots from now on. I um, actually, I always brag. Um, about East Delta Baptist Church when I go back after I've preached here. And I tell you something. I hope you guys don't take this for granted because you have a special fellowship here that a lot of churches don't have. For one thing, you have contemporary music, very talented people up on the stage that are leading in contemporary music. And you have traditional worship at the same time And I don't ever hear anybody griping or complaining about the music or what style is. You're here to worship Jesus. All right, I've got good friends here this morning. And Johnny, I'm going to ask you, don't I tell you that every time I come back from East Delta Baptist Church? And so they came with me this morning to experience that. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, Thank you for your love. Thank you for having me back again for the third time. You are a glutton for punishment. And um, but I just want to say that I appreciate your spirit and I, I appreciate seeing Jesus in you. And so let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, uh, first, that your name be glorified in everything that's said here today. Uh, Second, Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would just speak your words through me, that they would be your words and not necessarily Brian Feller's words, that you would speak to the hearts, that you know the minds, that you know the hearts, and you know what each person um, needs to hear here today, Father, to grow intimately in love with you so that you can reveal yourself to this lost and dying world that we live in. So I pray, Lord, that your name be exalted in everything that happens here today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Um, one, of my, one of my favorite, favorite stories um, about Jamaica is um, I went to the airport to pick up. We have about 22 to 25 churches that partner with us in the mountains in Jamaica. Uh, and so a lot of those weeks, we build homes for the impoverished. Uh, Beth, um, who just started coming with me full-time last year, and I want to say thank you because you guys are a part of that on a monthly basis, and I cannot tell you what a blessing that is to us. Um, has led, um, she, has, she oversaw three medical mission trips this year. Um, she's our medical director, saw hundreds of patients. Each patient got to hear the love of Christ and got to be prayed for. And um, so we were going to the airport to pick up one of the teams that were coming down, and they were going to build houses this week. And so I was waiting outside the airport, and you, uh, a lot of times when people come to Jamaica, it's their first 
uh, international mission experience. So they've, they've traveled all day long to get there. They get there and they're tired. And then when they come out of the airport, it's kind of going through customs and going through immigration. It's kind of a harrowing experience to get everything that you bring into the country out. So when they're coming through the doors, they're looking for a friendly face. And so, um, believe it or not, my face is that friendly face. And so I'm standing there, and they're looking, and um, uh, looking for a friendly face. And so uh, I'm picking this group up, and the first guy that comes out is about a 68-year-old man. His name is Rick, all right? And so Rick comes out, and I go up to him, and I greet, Rick, how you doing? He looks at me. Now, granted, he's been traveling most of the day. He looks at me, he says, I ain't building no houses this week. And I said, um, okay, well, that's kind of what you guys were scheduled to do. And he kind of softened a little bit. He said, let me tell you what I mean. He said, I'm 68 years old. I've done the house thing. I've built houses. He says, but I am a reading specialist. And the last time that I was here, I met a young man that uh, was not in school. He was reading on a kindergarten level. And he said, so if it's okay with you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go get that young man and I'm going to uh, teach him to read. And when I leave this week, he's going to be reading on a fifth grade level, which is what H.E. is right now. And I thought to myself, going from kindergarten level to fifth grade level in one week, I said, I'm thinking, it ain't going to happen. And so I shook my head and said, that's great. That's great goal for you to have. So sure enough, Monday morning, he gets up. He goes to this young man's house. He'd been there before. And he goes to the young man's house, knocks on the door. And his mother comes and he says, can I teach your son to read? Now think about that. What mother who has a kid that doesn't read is going to say, no, I don't want my son to read? And she said, sure. So he says, I'm going to spend 10 hours a day with him, four days out of the week. And she said, okay, sure enough, he brought him into the Harmony House and had this little room right there and sat across the table and began to teach him how to read. And it was kind of exciting watching him as he came out during the, his breaks and he began to start reading signs on the wall. I'm thinking, oh, he's doing pretty good. So this went on all week, Friday afternoon. He sat Gervin down. And gave him a reading test. Guess what level he tested at? Fifth grade level. So he came out. We all we all applauded and we praised him and everything. And then that's not the cool part of the story. The coolest part of the story is Rick took him back into the room and had a present for him. And the kid opened up the present, and it was a Bible. And he opened up the Bible. And Rick said, Gervin, I, I want you to read this. And he read in front of the Bible, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. But God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Gervin shut his Bible, looked at Rick, and said, If Jesus is anything like you, 
I'm going to invite him into my heart right now. Right there, he led Gervin to the Lord. One man using his abilities that God had given him to come along someone else and reflect the love of Christ. There's a formula right there. There's a formula right there that someone that goes somewhere that doesn't take the Bible and doesn't use it to smash somebody upside the head with it, that feels the need that they have to defend Jesus, but builds a relationship with them, uses the talent that God gave them, and God shows up in an awesome, marvelous way. Now, we could use that in Delta County. We could use that in Lamar County. We could use that in Texas. We could use that in the United States that we reflect Jesus in everything that we do. Everything we do. I, I was a youth minister for 25 years. Uh, and, Jeremy, I have been at a lot of youth camps. I've led a lot of youth camps. I've spoken to a lot of youth camps. I've been to a lot of youth camps. So chances are I might have been at a youth camp you, you were at. But... Um, as my very first job as youth minister, I took a canoe trip. Now, how many of you have been on, ever been on a canoe trip? Anybody? A couple? All right. Yeah, there we go. So we're going, we're, I'm leading the group, and I've got, actually, we had an uh, odd number, so I had three in my canoe. And we're going along the river, and, we, and for some reason, we get ahead of everybody else. And as we're going down the river, I'm familiar with the river. I've been on it many times. I look up, and I see a tree swing hanging up on, on the side over here. And I'm thinking, you know what, do you guys, I asked the kids, I said, you guys want to stop and go up that tree swing? It was a cliff, all right? So you climb up the cliff, you get on the tree swing, you swing out across the river, and you drop into the, into the river. It's fun. So I climbed up the cliff, they climbed up the cliff, um, and so the only way down is off the tree swing, all right? Too dangerous to climb back down. So we get up there, and I explain what you do. What you do is you grab a hold of the rope, you stick it between your legs, you jump out away from the tree, you swing out into the river, and when you're in the middle of the river, at the right point, you let go of the rope, you drop down into the river. It's hot, it's cold, it's going to be cold water, it's going to feel really, really good. That's how you do it. So being a good youth minister, I said, let me show you first. Okay? So I have done this many times. So I got on there, I grabbed the rope, put it between my legs, swung out across the river, go into uh, the center part of the river, let go of the rope, do a backflip, come back down, go straight into the river. And they're up there applauding, good job, good job. I said, okay, now, Larry, you go. And so Larry climbs up the tree, he's really excited, he grabs a hold of the rope and everything, puts it between his legs, he lets out this Tarzan yell, goes across the river, gets to the center point of the river, and is at the center point of the river, he's still holding on to that rope, and I'm saying, let go of the rope, let go of the rope, he holds on to the rope, and he goes, starts swinging full speed back towards the cliff, and he realizes, I'm either let go of the rope or I'm going to hit the cliff, so he lets go of the rope, one foot lands in the canoe, one foot lands in the water. Ouch. Being the godly man that I am, I laughed my head off. <laughs> and so his sister Laura's up there. Last one. So I'm thinking, oh, she's got this one. She sees what happens if you hold on to the rope too long. 
So she gets up there. She pulls the rope, puts it between her legs, and holds on to it. And I had to coax her out of the tree. And finally, she gets out of the tree. She goes swinging across the river. I say, remember, let go. Remember, let go. She gets across the river. She's at the high point of the rope. She looks down into the river, grabs a hold of the rope, and starts swinging towards the cliff. (laughs) But she doesn't let go. It's like a cartoon. She smashes the cliff and just kind of hits the cliff. And luckily, she hit a dirt spot on the cliff and just kind of slid down the cliff and slithered down toward the end. Because she didn't want to let go of the rope. Now, let me ask you a question. Why didn't they want to let go of the rope? They were scared. They were afraid. It was also, they felt more comfortable with the rope because... I was in control of the rope. They swung out across that river. They wanted to drop into that because it was going to be fun. They wanted to drop into the river because it was hot and it was going to be cold. And they wanted to experience that. That's what that, that was what they thought they were going to experience. But at, this, at the moment in time, it was safer to hold on to that rope. They weren't willing to let go to experience the joy that they wanted to do. That describes Christendom today. We as Christians don't want to let go of the rope. We as Christians want to control our destiny by holding on to the rope. And so in this lost and dying world that we live in, where Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to trust me. I want you to let go of what you're comfortable with. I want you to let go. I want you to go beyond your barriers. And I want you to reflect me in everything that you do. And what I want you to do is I just want you to reflect me and and have compassion on people. And and when I put a situation in front of you, what I want you to do is is I just want you to talk about me. I just want you to, to talk about Jesus. We make evangelism so hard. Would you agree with me? That we make it so hard that you have to learn all of these verses and that it's a canned presentation and you go through these verses and everything and we build it up and we build it up. And we think that that evangelism, that a person coming to know Christ is is on our shoulders. It's our responsibility. Can Can I put you at ease right now? It's not your responsibility for someone to come to know Christ. It is your responsibility to share It is your responsibility to live. So what I want to talk to you about today is, how do I let go of the rope? How do I change that mindset? If you want to change your circumstances, then you have to change your way of thinking. Does that make sense? If you want to change your circumstances, then you have to change your way of thinking. And I want to encourage you today that my goal for for you today in the sound of my voice is for you to, to learn three things of how I can change my way of thinking and how I can be impact and influence in the world that I live in. Because that's what happens when you don't let go of the rope and you try and do things on your own, you lose impact and influence in this world that we live in because you're doing it under God's strength and not man's strength. I mean, you're doing it under your strength and not God's strength. Does that make sense? All right, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to probably um, <clears throat> a different passage. 
But I'm going to show you an example in Scripture of what happens when someone has an opportunity to impact a lost and dying culture and the things they don't do. I'm going to take three positive things from that. Can we do that? So what I want you to do is turn to Genesis, the 19th chapter. I mean, the 18th chapter, verse 22. A little bit of context here. Abraham and Lot um, have left Ur of the Chaldeans and they have uh, traveled and they are settled and they have split, all right? Because their flocks have become so great. God said that he was going to use Abraham and make mighty nations out of Abraham and yet Abraham had not had any sons with Sarah yet and the angel of the Lord had just come and told Abraham that uh, Sarah was going to conceive, and after that, they told him that they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham is grieved greatly because his nephew Lot has pitched his tent right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. So Abraham begins to plead with God. So the men turn from the beginning with verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose these are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked... Far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have uh, undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have understood, um, undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the, Lord, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Then two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. <clears throat> Even the Lord has a minimum number. That was ten. And I, I stopped right there because I wanted you to see that Abraham was pleading for Lot and his family. He was pleading to God and saying, God, will you destroy the city for 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20? 
to ten. God, will you destroy, will you destroy the city if you find ten righteous people right there? And this gives us a picture, one of God's love for man. That God would not destroy a city of hundreds, possibly thousands, for the sake of ten righteous people. And notice the zeal that Abraham has with his Lord for just the ten righteous people. I want to pause right now and ask you this question. What kind of zeal do you have for the lost people that live right here in Delta County? Do you have that kind of passion where you plead with the Lord for the righteous, where you're willing or for the unrighteous, for where you're willing to go to them and share the love of Christ with them? To reflect his love? Is that the kind of passion you have? But now I want to... Why were there not ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Lot pitched his tent right there. If you go back to Genesis, the 13th chapter, you'll find out that Abraham and Lot met together because their herdsmen were fighting, because they were in one place and and all their, their... livestock was getting mixed up and and separated and they were fighting over and Abraham said listen Lot you go where you want to go you choose where you want to go but we'll go different directions to keep our herds and everything separated it says that Lot looked down towards the valley of Zor and that he knew that it was wicked but he saw that there were green pastures that there was water everywhere and he thought to himself this is a good place for me to live so he took his family and he pitched his tent right next to Sodom and Gomorrah not didn't go into the city but he pitched it right next to it and so the three things that I want to talk to you about today quickly the three things I want to talk to you today is three lessons that we've learned from Lot Lot made a decision about um, his life, his family, and the impact and influence that this world was going to have on him over financial gain. That Lot chose things of this world over things not of this world. I wonder how many times we do that. That we... um, Go somewhere we know that's not going to be appropriate for us to go to. Or we may go to a party or we may go somewhere we're not supposed to be. Or there's an impact or there's negative things happen there. And we think nothing like that's going to happen to me. I had a youth minister friend. Her name was Llewellyn Benton. And she was getting ready to speak on sin one Sunday morning to her girls. And she was trying to think of a great illustration. She got up and she still hadn't thought of one. And she looked out the, the window of her apartment and it was raining. And so, um, and it was raining hard. And she looked up and some teenagers had come out of the apartments and they were running and sliding. There was a big mud puddle right there in the dirt, right there out in front of her apartment. And they were running and sliding through the mud. And she goes, that looks really fun. So she found herself, she went outside underneath the eave and was watching them. She found herself getting closer and closer and closer to the mud puddle. Pretty soon one of them came and belly flopped in the, in the mud 
the mud pile, and it splashed up and got her all muddy. And she thought to herself, you know, that's the way sin starts up. It looks fun from afar. And so I'll just get a little bit closer. And I'll just get a little bit closer. And then it just grabs a hold of you. So um, she had mud all over. She, she just joined in with them because she was already in the mud. And that's what happened. So she went to church that morning, that Sunday morning, with mud all over her. And that was her illustration. And I've never forgot that. Because that's what Lot did. He pitched his tent right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it wasn't just the fact that he, he went straight into the heart of the city and, and, and built his home right in the heart of the, of the wickedness. But he, he pitched it right there. Why didn't he influence the city instead of the city influencing him? And the first thing that I want you to take away from this is the fact that we have to set our minds on things not of this world. That needs to be our priority. The second thing is, I, as, and, and I don't have time to read the whole scripture, um, all, all of the 19 this morning, so is it okay with you if I just give you the Feller's translation uh, of the story? And, and so Lot, so Lot um, <clears throat> was in the, in the gate, and the two angels came, and uh, he said, um, well, I want you to come to my house, because he knew what was happening in the city. And so the angel said, no, we're just going to sleep in the, in, the, in the town square. And Lot said, no, you come to my house. So he goes to the house. He makes them a big feast and everything. And they've eaten and they're getting ready to go to bed. And the men of the city, it says the young and the old uh, alike were there. The wicked of the city, they came and says, what I'd like for you to do is, uh, and Lot went to the door and said, bring out these men so that we may know them. And, and the particular uh, no in there was in a perverse, known way. And listen to Lot's reasoning with them. Please do not be evil against these men. I'm not going to hand over these men that are in the care of my home. But... What I am going to do is I can give you my two virgin daughters and you can do with them whatever you want to do. What kind of father is that? What kind of man of God that represents God is that? We can trace the philosophy of humanism all the way back to Lot. Because humanism says this. Human says this, that man basically is good and that out of this goodness, if you, if you, you, that man can come up within his own innate abilities to solve problems uh, in this world. So my philosophy is uh, I can do anything that I want to do and it can be okay because man is basically good. I'm so glad that that philosophy is not um, prevalent today in our society. And you know what saddens me most is um, the people that are self-professing believers that have taken stances against biblical truth. And I'm not going to shy around 
on abortion, on homosexuality, and I could go on and on and on because the world says that it's okay, and I'm going to stand, I'm going to uh, change with that. Uh, it's called the progressive revelation. And they go against what biblical truth says. But you know what they're doing, people? They're holding on to the rope. They're not being who God intended for them to be. They're not experiencing the power of love that only Christ can give because they're trying to reason within themselves. It's humanism, and it goes all the way back. You can take it all the way back to the beginning of man. That man said, this is what I'm going to do. It's called sin. It's called sin. So we have to... Keep our minds set on things above and not be like Lot. And so Lot, the, the angels pulled Lot in from the door. And um, he says, well, we're going to destroy the city. So what I want you to do is I want you to get your family and I want you to get out of here. And it says Lot looked at his family and he says, okay, uh, his daughters were there, his son-in-laws were there. He says, what I want you to do is go pack your things, we're going to leave. And they laughed at him. You see, his compromise with his beliefs had affected the family that he lived, that he lived with. It had affected his family. They didn't believe it. And so what they did was finally he just grabbed the, the angels, grabbed the lot, his two daughters, and they took him out of, out of the city. And they said, go to the mountains. And again, <laughs> Lot says, well, I have a better idea. Why don't you let me to go to this city, this small city right here, and we'll, we'll, we can do much better there. He hadn't learned his lesson yet. And they said, okay, but whatever you do, don't look back into Sodom and Gomorrah. And I, as they were walking away, they began to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what's it say about Lot's wife? She turned back and looked and turned into a pillar. No. Awesome. Turned into a pillar of salt. Right there. Why, why do you think she did that? She was thinking to herself, you know what? My house is back there. My, my new Jeep is back there. All my jewelry is back there. Paris Coffee Shop is back there. Or Starbucks or, or whatever. All the things in this world that I love. All those things right there, right there. And, I, and I'm walking away from that. I'm going to miss, miss that. You see, she was looking behind her, not looking ahead of her. She was looking about what had happened in her life, not what God had planned for her life. And turned her into a pillar of salt. And you know the rest of the story. The angels, the angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and annihilated it. Wiped it off the earth. Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, said this. He said, if God does not destroy America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. What do you think about that? If God does not destroy America, 
He owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Christians, we have to let go of the rope. We have to move past our comfort zone. We have to let him be rulers and creator of our life and to reflect his love in everything that we do. At the workplace, on the ball field, in your schools, wherever you go, reflect Jesus. And the three positive things that we take out of this that we learned from Lot was the fact that we need to set our mind on things above. That we need to obey God's word and not think that our way is a better way. And the third thing is to keep our eyes solely focused on Jesus. Uh, Summer Olympics, what is that sport where they have all the rowers and their backs are to the finish line and they're rowing? Was that called sculling? Is that right? You know what I'm talking about? Those big, long, skinny boats where they have that? I, I, I love the premise of this because look at this. Here you're asking four men in each boat with their back to a finish line like a mile away or two miles away. And what they want you to do is they want you to row from one point to the other. And Have you ever been in a rowboat with, with more than one person rowing? You know how difficult that is to keep that boat straight? Because somebody's either digging deeper and everything. So what they, what they do in order, to, in order to keep that boat going straight, they, they put somebody in the back of the boat with a drum. And he hits that drum and makes a beat. He's called a coxswain. And so as they're going, he's saying, hitting that row, 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 row. Why do you think they put their backs to the finish line? Because if you put your eye on the finish line, there's going to be somebody there that's going to get excited about seeing that finish line, and they're going to start going faster, and they're not not going to keep pace. They're not going to keep pace with everybody else. They're going to dig deeper, and that boat's going to start turning, and they're going to veer away from where they're going. You know, I think that's the way the Christian life is. I think what he's saying, Jesus is saying is, he says, what I want you to do is, Christian, I want you to keep your eye on me. I want you to set your mind on things above. I want you to know my word and obey my word and and know my word. And when I tell you to do something, I want you to let go of your rope and follow me. And I want you to solely stay focused on me. And I can hear Jesus saying now, row, row. Row, 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 row. And if we as a church would do that and listen to him and be focused like that, then we would make an impact and we would create influence in this world and we would have more impact in the in influence in the world that we live in. And I would bring you back to Rick. A Christian man that used his talents, his abilities to impact a life. Can I tell you the difference that I've seen in that young man? A a young man that had no confidence whatsoever. A young man that had no friends whatsoever because he couldn't go to school. 
that now is in school. And not only did Rick just teach him to read, Rick paid for a tutor so that he could keep going on and on and on. A change in his life because of the love of Christ. That's what makes the difference in the world that we live in, is a relationship that you build with others because of your love for Christ and his love for you. And so East Delta Baptist Church, my challenge for you is to keep your eyes solely focused on Jesus, to obey his word and to know his word and keep your thoughts and ideas out of it and to set your mind on things above and just row, row, row. Don't look at the finish line. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. What a difference that'll make in the world that we live in. And we will have impact. And we will have influence. Because it comes from a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. I love these words. I've probably quoted this before in Ephesians 1. Where Paul's talking about to the church at Ephesus. And he says, you know what? You want to grow? You want to grow? This is what you need to pray for. Pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that the eyes of your heart and I love that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know his hope that you may know his power and his peace that he has for you that hope And what we need to do is row, row, row. Will you let go of that rope? We're going to close this time that we have together today with the time of uh, invitation. Uh, uh, An invitation is for you, wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting, for you to do business with the Lord. What is he telling you today? Is he saying, you need to grow closer to me. You need to seek me out more as I seek you out. You need to let go of that rope, move past your fear, and increase your impact and influence in this community, in this state, in this world. Or it might be here that you've never experienced that intimate relationship with Christ. And that you, um, <clears throat> you might be like my friend Llewellyn. That right now you're in the midst of that big mud puddle. And you can't see out of it. Your circumstances are beyond um, anything that you can see escaping from. And I tell you right now, if you'll look up and look to Christ... He'll pull you out of that, of sin, and redeem your life and give you hope, his power, and his peace. This time is for you. So you do business with the Lord as Jason leads us and JC leads us in, in our invitation to him. I'll be here to pray with you if you'd like for to come um, to the altar. Well, whatever God's asking you to do, uh, now is your time to do that.